Welcome to another David McCracken Ministries podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. I haven't worn a suit since the last time I went to a funeral or wedding, but <laughs> it won't last long. <laughs> it's great joy to be with you, and uh, if I needed any reassurance, which I don't really, because Father's been talking quite clearly to me for weeks about this church, and but if I did need any reassurance, it's quite wonderfully freaky when when Pastor Becky gets up and quotes one of my scriptures written down, and then this man. Pastor John gets up here and quotes the other one. I thought, whoa. So, and so, and if I needed anything else than being at the young people's last night, and, and you came back for more? I tell you, we, 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 we're in Planet Shakers, and um, I, I know everybody thinks that we're Methuselah because, you know, I'll be 70 later this year. And, and they say, what are you doing in Planet Shakers? Well, we love it. I, 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 we love it. I, and uh, th- when I was in that young people's meeting last night, I came home. Margaret said, well, what's it like? I said, it's like Planet Shakers on steroids. <laughs> yeah. So it really was really incredible. Um, now, Margaret... You see, Margaret's in the front row, and she's just with a glance. She just reminded me, for one minute, be normal. <laughs> just before we start, just be, just be normal for a minute. And I know exactly what that means. That means tell you about the family. Okay, here we go. Uh, um, the gorgeous one, well, they're all gorgeous, but th- th- this one, uh, Margaret, stand up for a second. Let them... Um, the only reason why I'm still in the ministry insane other than the sheer grace of God is that lady and 46 years of marriage and we're utterly addicted to each other and getting more in love every day and it's fantastic Um, and we have three kids um, and their spouses and their six grandchildren and uh, loving life and loving the Lord. And so we're very grateful. It's a, a wonderful season of life to be in. Um, now, I know that that clock will keep ticking. Uh, uh, um, so actually, I thought I had longer than that. I, I do? Good man. Good man. Um, and so I'm like a racehorse in the gate. I want to get into it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your abundant goodness. We want to thank you, Lord, this morning that, my God, even though people were up to all hours of the night and morning, you're here, Father, and such is the wonder of who you are that we are automatically energized by your presence and by your grace and by your a wonderful love for every single person in this room. Father, I pray that uh, throughout these next few days, every single person in this room 
will know how unconditionally they are accepted and how indescribably they are loved by you. Father, we thank you. We ask Holy Spirit, our wonderful friend, to take over and just do whatever's in your heart to do, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. I knew it wouldn't last long. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, calm one, no, <laughs> being smart, uh, the one that was anything but calm. Uh, um, down here in the front, um, uh, I see you love the word, but this year, the Lord's, um, the, I get things by the way of pictures. By the way, I, I don't eat locusts or wear camel's hair or nothing like that, but, uh, um, but I do get pictures. So, uh, and I got a picture of you, and, and you're obviously a, a lover of the word, um, but I saw like a, like a gardening trowel. Uh, like a small shovel, gardening trowel, and, and uh, when you're digging into the Word. And I felt the Lord come over to you this year and take it out of your hands and put this great big pickaxe. Uh, and, and it's like you're going to go another layer, another layer. And you're going to read a scripture, and you know what it says, and you're getting inspired, but, but something won't allow you to leave the scripture. Whenever that happens know that you're going to dig further and further and further. But what does that word really mean? What does it really say? What was he really trying to communicate when he said that? And, and you're going to find different levels of the word. Just revelation is going to be added to your life in a different dimension this year. Okay, praise the Lord. Good. Um, you know, this, this church will never, ever be dull or boring, and it will always have a spirit of conquest attached to it. Uh, new territories will always be part of what lies ahead. And Pastor Leanne, I saw something um, that as each new day is pioneered and each new venture is undertaken and new projects are taken over and... Uh, a commissioning comes. Um, I don't know what anybody does here, including yourself. But I saw, I saw you getting a revelation of the fact that we do not fight flesh and blood, but principality and power, and that your the depth of your revelation concerning that caused you to marshal. Uh, prayer warriors, intercessors, not just prayers, but I mean warriors. A and whenever a new project was undertaken, a new situation or a new campus or a, uh, whatever it was, uh, it was like you were playing this role of, like a general marshalling um, those who would go into battle and whether they're ever seen or known about is not important, but what they accomplish is incredibly important. Okay, Lord bless you. Okay, um, I'd love to minister a whole heap of bunch of people, but maybe you come back at five o'clock, huh? Because I've got so much to discharge here to the collective. Um, so that's what I'd, oh, well, I'll get to it eventually, I know. Um, but because I'm like Colby, because I'm likely to knock into you all the time, I, I, I want to get rid of this one now. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, 
I saw you wearing this cloak, and I can, that normally signifies like a, a mantle or, or your vocation, what you do, the anointing or grace in your life. And I saw the Lord coming to you this year and taking it off your shoulders momentarily, and you're thinking, oh, no, no, that's, that's what I do. Um, and the Lord began to sew into the cloak this golden thread, and he added more and more and more of it, and for a brief moment, you thought, oh, that's starting to look like a heavy thing to wear with all that gold stuck in it. And, but when you put it on your shoulders, it was lighter than it was before. And so the Lord is going to add a capacity to, in you to do more, but to do it with less effort, to less effort. And you're going to discover that your intimacy in the garden empowers you for your day. All right. All right. You, you know, I, I already prophesied over you, so you don't deserve anything more. Um, but, um, but one word. It's funny because it's a word I've got for another church, which I'll be talking to in the break. So I don't know why I'm saying it to you as well, but maybe it's two different things altogether. But this year is going to be a year of transition for you. Yeah. Enough said. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, I would just want to reassure you that one, I know absolutely zero about you as a church other than what I was told. Um, what I was told was that Pastor Russell Evans and uh, who else? Mike I said, uh, if Pastor Jurgen uh, asks you to preach, you should do it. He's a good guy. <laughs> so, so that was it. Uh, um, that was my sum total of knowledge. Um, and then when I was talking to Pastor Jurgen on the phone, he said that you are C3, um, whatever that means. And... Um, <clears throat> And then that also he had recently had some extra responsibility nationally. But really that's the sum total of all that I know. And I want to just say another word and be careful of my time here, but you need to know this up front, both individually and collectively, that prophecy is not what will happen. Prophecy is what God intends to happen. For the prophetic intention to become reality, there's got to be a reaching out and an embracing of it from your heart. So I'm, let me get into it now. I, I want to share you, first of all, eight things that Father showed to me about your church in the days that lie ahead. Um, and then one of them I will amplify a little before uh, the time forbids us to go further. So num number one, here's the just, I'm going to rattle them out. This is last night, I just let my hair down and preached, uh, and, but, but I've got to get out the stuff that Father's shown me over the last couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, number one, I saw uh, the birthing of a new era in 2017. Not a new chapter, not a new season, a new era. And what do I mean? I mean decisions that are so fundamental, events that are so significant that everything will change 
after that date. And so uh, 10 years from now and 20 years from now, uh, people will look back on 2017 and say, well, that's when it changed. That was the pivot year. That was the beginning of the new era. And tonight at five o'clock, if you're able to make it, I will be unpacking all of what that new era means. Uh, how do you possess a new era in God? Okay. Uh, number two, I see this local church growing in the next three years in the area of global impact. And so I saw a lot of fresh discovery, a fresh possession taking place, new territories. I saw the word nations, nations, nations. And so the Lord would have you in the next two or three years really position yourself as a church so that you're able to take global initiatives, uh, uh, nations that God is going to bring into uh, focus. And so I saw things like prayer. I saw things like maps on a table. I saw strategy sessions where you're getting the strategies of heaven as God would burden you with a particular nation. Um, number three, I saw courageous new uh, steps being taken uh, uh, to do with a, embracing a paradigm shift in leadership, um, uh, which would have something to do with the father's heart involved in that leadership. But it also had something to do with the friendship factor of Jesus with his disciples. I could see other well-meaning pastors or leaders initially uh, criticizing it or, or at least not understanding understanding it uh, uh, and because they said well it's too open it's too vulnerable uh, uh, um, it makes everybody too vulnerable but the same people five and six and seven years from now will come to you for the answers because they'll see the fruit of that leadership um, number four I see a new step of faith to do with property and locality now, um, it's going to take a lot of faith because of the particular locality that God uh, brings into focus for you will be a very, very hard locality, uh, one which will not be a logical choice whatsoever to plant a local church or a campus. It's just a hard place. And so in order to possess it, you must have the conviction that the kingdom culture that you carry is far greater than the culture into which he plants you. And so, and you will bring transformation into that locality. Um, I've, number five, I see a very intentional discipleship program um, developing in the church, which is uh, dedicated to discovering and empowering a new generation of Joshua leadership. Now, I don't know why that term is so important, but it is. A, a new generation of Joshua leadership. Uh, um, and, that, and here's a distinctive that I saw about them because everybody's got something like that. But I saw this was distinctively different because they had this conviction that they were being taught that their courage and success on the front line was the fruit of their intimacy with Father's heart rather than the prowess of their gift. It was a whole shift. 
And so they were courageous trailblazers. And once again at 5 o'clock, I'll be mentioning more about the trailblazing aspect to it. But, but these, these Joshua warriors were, were trailblazers, new territory, new frontiers, cracking things open, not just in church life, but in business life in business life, in marketplace situations because they, because they had walked out of a garden that morning with their father where they'd been walking and listening. Uh, they were empowered by what they had heard and nothing was impossible. Um, and so, and I don't know you two from, obviously, but you, I'm pointing rudely at you, but, and you're attached to this one? I was hoping so, yeah. Um, when I just said that, you get, get wide awake, get alert. Things are going to change this year for you too. Like they are going to change. There, there, there's opportunities. I, I preached a word last night to the youth. You need to hear it now. Seize the moment. Don't overthink it. Don't try to make it logical or more reasonable. Just get a hold of it and seize it. For God is going to take your fruitfulness and your impact for the kingdom from about here to about here. Okay. Um, number six. Uh, I saw a transformation taking place concerning C3 churches in America. And I know nothing of them at all, but um, here's the picture that God showed me. God showed me these C3 churches in America and as I was looking at them, uh, uh, the picture changed and they became the hub of a wheel. Each one of them became a hub and those hubs had spokes. And I said, okay, Lord, what are you saying about this? And he said there had to come a revelation and, and an implementation. Uh, 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 it speaks of um, one multiplying into many. And so uh, each local church becoming a hub with campuses. And what I saw about that was that it was highly intentional uh, and that it was an inspired strategy. Um, and this is what I saw. I saw a retreat taking place in which um, the, obviously the leaders of these C3 churches were there. I saw this leadership retreat, national thing, taking place uh, uh, where there was a waiting on God together. There was a listening to his voice together. And then there was a birthing of creative ideas, like almost a prophetic happening where these creative ideas were being birthed that were then forged into strategy. Now, uh, it really did have an upper room feel about what was going on in that place. And it caused um, local churches that, that would have just, if it had not been for that, they would have gone on to be, continue to be good local churches. But because of whatever happens in this gathering, uh, um, they suddenly become hubs. And campus and places are getting planted from out of that local church. Okay, number seven. I see this church... Uh, now talking about San Diego, reaching out to other churches and Christian communities and in, within San Diego. And the way the Lord showed that to me was he showed me this church 
um, collective as a place of colour. And I saw others that looked more grey. And I said, Lord, what, is it, what are you meeting here? And he said, um, these are Christian communities and churches that are, are sincere and godly, and they're good theologically, but they, they lack in joy. They lack vitality. They lack the Holy Spirit. They lack the miraculous. And, and God is going to cause you to be uh, that which brings the color of God, the miraculous of God, uh, into their environment. You will impregnate them with that. Once again, I saw that it was very intentional. And I saw that it, it was ushering in part of this new era that God is bringing upon you as a church which will, and part of it will be sowing into the wider body of Christ in the city in such a selfless way that there'll come an increase of apostolic credibility on this church and you will become like a reference point. Excuse me, can you help us with this? Uh, uh, look, we're going through this at the moment. Can you help us with this? And you shift from just being empowered for a C3 agenda to being uh, empowered to bring the body of Christ to life. And so uh, I'm very inspired about that. Number eight. And here's where I need to say to everybody that's in the room today is that when I hit number eight, from this moment on, I've, and I say this carefully, but I say it because half, I've been doing it for 50 years now. And we've had a lot of testimonies back from a lot of people. And so I know that this actually does take place. That when a prophet begins to speak, it's not only telling what God's intention is, but there comes moments when the words themselves have the power to create. And so there's a creative element in what is being said. So if you as an individual reach out in the next few moments and say, I received that for me, I received that for me. I received that for me. Then, then something of the creative word of God will start happening inside of you and there'll come an unlocking. And I say that because number eight, which, which was written down, Pastor John, days ago in Melbourne. I haven't changed a word of it after our dinner the other night. All right. Um, but number eight was, I see... The supernatural. The supernatural. And I see people of this congregation laying hands on the sick and the sick getting healed. And I'm not talking about one or two in a congregational setting. I'm talking about every day in your workplace. I see a tsunami of healing taking place, but it's totally supernatural. I see people that are depressed and suicidal walking into midweek small group meetings and being healed, set free and delivered simply because they walk into an atmosphere of the supernatural. I see members of this congregation having such a revelation of his fatherhood, their sonship, their daughtership, and it's happened with such a revelation that when they walk into their work, their vocational environment, suddenly everything starts to shift and change around them. People don't even know why it is that the atmosphere has changed. It's because they have brought it with them. I see, you see, that's completely supernatural. And I see those with a mantle of the Joseph. 
What do I mean? I mean, I see people in this congregation, and I saw it very clearly. I was on my knees in, in Melbourne, and I started seeing this happening right throughout the congregation. I saw the mantle of Joseph where there was, they were gaining such revelation and insight of financial trends and changes ahead of time that the kingdom could prosper and great credibility would be established in the secular worlds of the business and government. And so I believe there's anointing and there's a grace for some of you out there to pick my word up about now and say I want to be one of those, a Joseph Grace. I see people with very little learning or schooling, uh, 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 very little education suddenly being given a spiritual gift of wisdom which causes them to gain recognition, credibility, promotion which is completely illogical and unreasonable. Why? It's supernatural. I see, I also see the conquests of cities and nations through circumstances so sovereignly designed yet humanly impossible. It has to be supernatural. So my friends, when I ask my father, what do I see as a distinctive of this church moving forward? I saw the supernatural and the Pentecostal world globally I don't mean this critically, but it's a fact that, that has never been, never been more gifted nor more talented, but, but are lacking in the supernatural power of God as seen in the book of Acts. And that will change. Uh, um, you see, the church, the church in 2017 now, uh, in my most part anyhow, uh, um, you have um, the, the church loves to celebrate the, the, the 10% or the 5% who are particularly gifted that way. But they excuse the 90% who love to celebrate their Christianity but don't demonstrate the power of it in their everyday lives. But you see, that's going to have to change. And I said to the Lord, I said, Father, why is it then? If you've got people that are obviously dedicated, committed, wonderful people of God, uh, why are we not seeing more of the supernatural naturally? Do you understand? So, so, so it's not pumping up a gift. It's not, you know, I used to do that. Man, that's hard work. That, that, that really can kill you. And I know because I have a bur I suffered burnout twice just trying to be a good Pentecostal minister. It's terrible stuff. Okay, uh, you, it, you, we weren't ever created to try and be anything. We we're created to realize who we already are. We, we, as I told the young people last night, uh, I'm not like a son to him. I am his son. Uh, I'm begotten of his seed. That makes me his son. You're not like a daughter. You are his daughter. And you get a revelation of who you really are. The supernatural is supposed to be natural. Okay. Um, but why is it? It's not lack of diligence. It's not lack of commitment. So what is it? Well, my friends, it's because they lost the master key. See, friends, our father is supernatural. Jesus was and is supernatural. Holy Spirit is completely supernatural. And if we are ever to fully and accurately represent our God to this world, we must 
We must be a supernatural people living a supernatural life representing a supernatural Christ. So, so what's the key? Oh, we need to rediscover the master key. The master key. This all started when the Lord showed me this vivid picture. And I, when I was praying for your church and, and uh, I'd seen this before, but I knew this was, I had to say it here, I saw this hallway, and this hallway was leading uh, to this uh, big door at the end, but there's lots of doors down the hallway, but one big one at the end, and as I opened the big one uh, at the end, uh, it was like here was this land filled with promise and prophecies coming to pass and the supernatural and the miraculous and, and staggering stuff was taking place, and I was in awe of it, and, and I said, wow. And then the Lord said, okay, but there's this passageway that takes you there and each door represents the seasons and the challenges of life and the events of life. And he says, but it's okay because for each one was locked. Each one had a lock on it. It was locked. But he says, okay, because I've given a key for each door. And I saw the names on some of these doors, and they were like um, a prayer, the word of God, fellowship, leadership, uh, um, uh, the spiritual authority and dominion, and, and powerful. I mean, incredibly powerful keys that when they were inserted in the door, suddenly the door would swing open, okay? And so I thought, well, this is cool. This is good. I grabbed one of the keys. I went to the first door, and I had the right key for the right door at the right time. And I stuck it in. I tried to turn it. And it was grating and grunching. And it's not that it wouldn't turn it, but, oh, man, I was worn out trying to turn the key in the lock. And I said, Lord, this can't be right. I said, what's the matter here? It's the right key for the right door. And some of you have actually felt that way at times. My God, this is what you told me to do. I'm doing what you asked me to do. Why should it be such hard work? And so, and it's grunching in the key. And the Lord just said, well, you haven't put in the master key first. And I saw another lock. And this lock was for the master key. And when the master key was put in that lock, oil flowed out of the master key into the other lock. And suddenly, all the locks were just... And just after effortlessly flew open. Why? Because the master key had been put in first. And so I want to tell you about the master key. But friends, I saw other doors off to the side of this hallway and they didn't need keys at all. In fact, they could just swing open with a touch of the fingers. It was so easy. But they were distraction. They were diverting. They were depleting. Now, they weren't evil things at all. There was mostly good things, but I saw things written on the doorways like methods and systems and arrangements and finances and, and, and acceptance and wanting acceptance and position and skills and achievement and so many things that can divert us and, and possess our world and distract us. And so... What about the master key? Father, what is the master key that won't allow me to be distracted, won't allow me to be depleted? 
If I want, and someone says automatically to me, well, you, of course, we all know what it is. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. No, no, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is the oil that flowed into those locks. But what was the master key that unlocked the anointing, that allowed it to flow? What transformed my life from a hard-working Pentecostal pastor who wore himself into burnout and 10 months out of the ministry into somebody now going into his 70th year who loves life full of beans and looking forward to the next 300 years serving Jesus. I mean, there's, there's, friends, there's a master key. And if you lose it, everything's hard work. What is the master key? <laughs> Some of you are saying, will you get to it? Okay. <laughs> I mean, what if I just tell you that there was actually an ingredient that would release the anointing of the Holy Spirit, would empower your prayer life, would increase your intimacy with Father's heart, would improve every human relationship, would heal every marriage, would replace anxiety with hope, would replace doubt with fear, uh, sorry, doubt with faith, that's better, replace doubt with faith (laughs) and replace striving with peace. What about that? Replacing insecurity with unshakable confidence. It, it, it would accelerate your calling. It would release the miraculous. It would call prophecies to, into power and into being. I mean, if, if there was such a thing, would it not be worthy of the highest resolve, the greatest pursuit, the, the highest honour? Come on. Well, it does exist. It's the master key and its name. Is first love. You say, what, 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 what? No, first love really is the master key. Well, let me explain what I mean. When I, when I was courting Margaret 47 years ago, and yeah, I can remember that. Yeah, no distance was too great. No time was too inconvenient. No cost was too great. No priority was even worthy of consideration. I mean, you got to believe it. I was a man on a mission. Uh, It was like uh, I was King Arthur, Galahad, Lancelot. I was all of them rolled into one. Uh, um, And I thought about it when I got up in the morning. I thought about her at breakfast. I thought about her at lunch. I thought about her at work. I thought about her in church. And I even thought about her when the New Zealand All Blacks were playing the Wallabies. I mean, that's sacrilege. But I I mean, I was... I was so hopelessly addicted, but what on earth was wrong with me? What, what was the matter with me? I was in a state of first love. And now, 46 years later, we're more in love than ever, thanks to the book she wrote, Bulletproof Your Marriage. Got to get that book. Okay. <laughs> but friends, I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that we had not gone through some horrendous times in our life. We've gone through just about anything you can imagine. I've been in and out of hospital I don't know how many times. 
We've had betrayals in our, when we were pastoring a local church. One of my best friends split the local church. We lost our church. We lost our buildings. We lost our Christian school. We lost our home. There's been a few things that we have walked through together. But I want to tell you something. Things that buffet you, drain you, and, and suddenly get you lose focus on what really matters. And one day you wake up and you realize that even your marriage is hard work. So what do you do about that? Oh, I'll tell you what we did. We got down and said, enough is enough. We're not going to allow this drift. We won't allow this drift any longer. We're going to get back the first love. We're going to get back our passion. We're going to get back that fire that we've always had. We're going to get it back. And we did that, friends, over 46 years, again and again and again. And as often as it was necessary, we did it again. But why did we keep doing it? Because, friends, we had made a covenant. And you have to understand something. When you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you made a covenant. You made a covenant of first love. You made a covenant that day. And friends, there are times when life and the treadmill and, the, and just the sheer pace of everything and the buffeting of others and, and, and everything that goes on in a world. And one day you wake up and you realize, well, well, where, where's the passion gone? I'm not talking about your diligence. I'm not talking about your commitment. I'm not talking about your godliness. No, no, if all of heaven rejoices over your commitment, your diligence, your godliness, that's a glorious, a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. I'm not talking about your godliness. I'm talking about your joy. I'm talking about how your celebration of life. We have to step back sometimes and say, my father, what, what happened to the first love passion? Ooh, time is gone. Revelation chapter 2, very quickly. Revelation 2, do we have that up there, I think, verses 1 to 7? Just read the screen. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the middle of seven golden candles. Don't, don't, don't worry about all that. It's Jesus. Uh, 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 now, it would be nice if he just said Jesus, but that's all right. Now, verse 2, I know your works. I know, listen to the words. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. These are all very godly attributes. And that you cannot bear those who have evil, who are evil. That's a commitment to holiness. And you've tested those who said they're apostles and not. You've found them to be liars. So what's this? Great discernment. And you've persevered and you've had patience. That's godly endurance. And you have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary in it. What's that? That is ongoing persevering evangelism. I tell you what, I read, I read a list like that. We pastored a church for years. I tell you, I would love people like that in my church. Are you kidding? Godly, evangelizing, holy. These are champions. And then he goes on, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this one thing against you. You left your first love. 
But now, friends, listen carefully to what he says and what he does not say. Remember, therefore, from when you were fallen. He didn't say, remember where you walked away from. He said, he's not accusing them of anything. You, you don't deliberately fall. If I took another step off here and broke my neck, it wouldn't be deliberate. Okay, and so it's not accusative. He, he says, remember where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Once again, don't misunderstand what he's actually said. What's a lampstand? A lampstand is what brings warmth and light and illumination into a dark place. It talks about the revelation of the Holy Spirit right throughout 66 books of the Bible. Uh, lampstand always talks about the revelation of the Holy Spirit bringing fresh illumination. And he's saying, all he's saying in there is when you lose the passion of your first love, one of the casualties is that you no longer are hearing the wonderful, fresh voice of the Holy Spirit giving you dream and vision and revelation and insights. And it's just not bubbling and flowing anymore. And then he says the word repent, but you need to understand that that word does not mean to grovel. It doesn't mean to be miserable. It's the literal interpretation says, it says, acknowledge your condition, turn around, re-embrace, head again in the right direction. And friends, that's all he's saying, and we've all had to do it you know, and where you just, everything has suddenly taken over. But you stop and you realize, I'm operating out of diligence now. I'm operating out of commitment now. What happened to my burning passion that I used to wake up with every morning, pulsating with life? What happened to that? And then he goes on in his closing words. And he commends them again in verse 6 and back to commending them. And then in verse 7 he says this, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise or presence of God. Friends, when he uses that word life, he's using exactly the same word. Now listen to me as I close. He's using exactly the same word that Jesus used in John 10, 10, when he said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Not only life, but that more abundantly. And when Jesus used that word, that word in the English language, well, there's no word for it, but it means abundant, extravagant, over-the-top, amazing, just beyond the brain, okay? And he said, I've actually come to give you that kind of life. 
Now, he's saying here in Revelation, you see, it's so often misquoted. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, oh, repent, you sinners, and get down and grovel and be miserable. It's actually saying, it's the cry of the Father's heart. He's saying, I see how godly you are. I see how discerning you are. I see how you love the lost and evangelizing, and I see that. But he said, I'm, I'm longing to bring fresh insight and revelation and the wonders of heaven and place them in your heart. I'm longing for you and I to walk in the garden together as a son and a father, as a daughter and a father. I have wonders for you. I have amazing moments for you. I want our love and our first love passion back again. That's all he's saying. And he's saying, if you'll meet with me this morning and cross over a line where nothing else matters and nothing is ever going to take it away from me again, then my God, the weariness can just drop off. All the striving drops off. All the trying is taken out of it. Why? Because you're back into first love again. Now, I'm wondering right now if there's anybody who's saying in their heart of hearts, that's right. That's me, Father. That's me, Father, because we've all been there. Love you, Lord, but I want I want to back, come back to first love. I want to come back to utter abandonment. I want to come back to unconditional availability where you can tell me to do anything on the planet and I'll do it. If that's you, now please don't do this because it's polite. Don't do that. But if it's is you and you're saying, Father, I want to live in a state of first love passion. And I want to start seeking you. And I want to start crying out to you in the morning hours. And Father, I want, to, I, I, want, I want that intimacy. Then stand to your feet right now. You see, friends, there's so many, many incredible things that God has ahead for this church. There will never, ever be a vacuum of things to do that are significant for the kingdom of God. But those who will seize the moment will be those that are listening well. Hear me, hear me as I close. You cannot obey what you have not heard. It starts in the secret place. Father, I thank you for these incredible people that have served you so incredibly well. I see everywhere I look, I see the fruit of what you've done in this group of people, and I, I'm amazed at what you've done. The fathers I look forward over these next 10 years, I'm even more staggered at the impact that this church will have upon this nation and the nations of the earth. And Father, there are people here today that have thought their own lives to be somewhat ordinary, who will do incredible, extraordinary things. And Father, I pray that you put in them right now, right now, a hunger, a fresh hunger for intimacy with your heart. Let them know that they are unconditionally accepted and indescribably loved by you. 
Thank you, Father. We commit our ways to you, Lord. We love you of all of our hearts, Father. And everybody said, Amen. Lord bless you. Thanks for listening. For more content, head to our website, davidmccracken.org.